If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn those to the book of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And as you're turning there, uh, if you are unfamiliar with the church here and for the way that our church in particular functions, we will usually walk through books of the Bible. We will look at what the Scripture teaches. We will then at times look through large chunks of Scripture and go verse by verse, week by week, because we really do believe that God... Uh, would have us to look at His Word in full and to learn some various genres that are there. But from time to time, I mean, we, we do themes. And, and these themes help us to see who we are as a body of believers in light of what God teaches us from the Scriptures as a whole. And we're starting this year with the Core Values Series, And we walk through what it means for us to have God's core values. Now, core values is more than likely a phrase that you're familiar with from your workplace, from your, uh, well, from work. That's just a word. We, we use it a lot. If you were to go to Google, they have core values. If you were to go to Apple, they have core values. If you go to Chick-fil-A, they have core values. You cannot hear about those today because it's Sunday, but they have core values. Everyone has core values, these businesses. And the definition of core values is the core values are the fundamental belief of an organization. They help you to determine if you are on the right path. Now, what's different for us as a church than these other organizations is that we do not get to establish our core values because those are established as you look through the scriptures and God shows us what the church is and how the church is to function. So we have to begin to examine not what we will say that our core values are, but how we will articulate those core values as a body of believers that meet together at 1027 Dixie Drive behind the Taco Bell and the AutoZone and whatever they're going to build in front of us next week. So if we're going to look at these values, we have to ask, what has the Scripture said about what the church is and how the church is to function? Acts 2 gives us a picture of how the early church functioned and gives us something to push towards. So let me read this over us. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. This early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So you see various concepts there. We see the idea of relationship. We see the idea of giving. We see these people interacting together. So when we began to sit down, Jared and myself, when I walked through the door in April of 2017, we started to wrestle with how do the core values of the church articulate themselves through our body. So we wanted to go with something super simple. This theme for the next five weeks is We Are Grace. And we've broken that down and we've even created an acronym with it. So, when you look at G, we, we're going to talk about generosity. That's today. When we look at R, we're going to talk about relationships. The A is for authenticity. The C is for confidence. That so we have confidence in the gospel of Jesus. 
And excellence is the E. And the reason that we choose that word we'll go into later. But we believe that we are to do everything and give everything as unto the Lord. But today we get to talk about generosity, which is a really hard one to lead off with. Because when you're talking about generosity, people think you're wanting to talk about money. And we're probably going to talk about money. However, what we've learned from the scriptures as we look through them regularly is, if you're talking about money, you're not really talking about what's in your pocket. You're talking about the hearts of people. So, and when we talk about generosity and the idea of what it means to give, it makes people uncomfortable. Yet, when we look through the Bible, we see that it's an important topic. Just to give you a breakdown of the word, um, when we look through the scriptures, we find the word believe 272 times. We find the word pray 371 times. We find the word love 714 times. The word give is used in the Bible 2,162 times. So there is a theme of giving that is there. A theme of giving that applies to every one of us. To every person on earth, we can see this concept of giving. And we actually see that as we look in the Proverbs and the Psalms. These Proverbs, practical truth given to us to hear. And here are some of the words, of, uh, here are some of the words from the Proverbs from Solomon about giving. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Proverbs 21, verse 6. The greed, greedy always want more, but the godly love to give. Psalm 112, 9 says this. Those who give generously to those in need will never be forgotten. They will have influence and honor. Proverbs again. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Psalm 112, 5 and 6. All goes well for the generous man who conducts his business fairly. Such a man will not be overthrown by evil circumstances. God's constant care of him will make a deep impression on all who see it. Not only is the general concept of generosity through the scriptures... We actually see it embedded in our faith. The Bible's most famous verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The salvation that we receive from God giving his son is a given gift. According to Romans chapter 6 verse 23. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God does not destroy you for your sin and in your sin immediately because he is generous and he is patient towards sin. Peter tells us the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient towards you not wishing that any of you should perish but that all should come to repentance. Paul then talks about the, the giver in the Corinthians, the, to the Corinthians. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful is one we could break down a little bit. It means God loves a hilarious giver, is one of the word plays there. God comes to people he made. So, this is insane when I began to think about it. God comes to people he made and asks their permission to use the things that he has given them. And he created those things. 
And when we look into the Scriptures, it seems that the greatest competition for the allegiance of, of the human heart towards something is stuff. Materialism. So we're in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, and we're going to read verse 24 first because it's going to set up for us the rest of the verses. Let me read this to us. No one can serve two masters since he either will hate one and he will love the other he, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Some of your translations may read. You cannot serve both God and mammon. So what we find here is that both God and mammon are masters. That there is a definite divide between these two concepts. No one likes to have a boss, right? No, no one likes to have someone telling them what to do. We definitely don't like when that boss gives us direction that is uh, contrary to what we think the direction should be. I remember when my church in Chattanooga, I lived in Chattanooga, I'm, I'm from there originally, uh, while I was in Chattanooga for those almost 40 years, I was working at a church at one point, and our senior pastor, his secretary had left, and he was going to hire another secretary, and one person applying for the job said, well, I could do the job, but I really can't type, and I don't like being told what to do. <laughs> oh, that's probably not the job for you. So... We don't love it. But according to Jesus, it's when we begin to talk about this idea of mammon, when we begin to look and see what's taking place when we consider our things, Jesus singles out that the idea of stuff is God's greatest enemy. The word mammon or money, everything you own, your property, money, property. The word translates as money is here sometimes used as mammon. Mammon is not just your cash, it's everything that's yours. It comes from a root word, and that root word is this. It means that in which one trusts. So when Jesus says you cannot serve both God and mammon, he is saying you're going to trust one of these two things. Your stuff or me. Mammon is the desire for abundance apart from God. And one writer says, one does not have to be rich to be consumed with mammon. The idea of stuff owning us. Because I think that's the immediate thought of anyone who is not in the top 10% of people in our country. The top 1% of people in the world. All of us in the Western world have been, in, have been touched by its values at one point or the other. You can be rich or poor and still be obsessed with making one more dollar and looking to that dollar to bring you joy and happiness. You cannot serve God and trust in something else. So we have to ask, is our security and our property, or is it in the God who gave it to us? Because you can only truly love one of those two things. 
The Old Testament gives lots of instances where the Israelite people took stuff that God had given them and they fashioned it into idols. The most famous comes in the, Exodus, in the book of Exodus where the Israelites formed the golden calf. If that was not enough, in Assyrian captivity, before that they formed two golden calves. In both instances they distorted religion. Their distorted religion came down to them literally, li- not just figuratively, but they literally took the things that God had given them the all and they took their resources by, that they had them with their time their talent and their treasures and they were used to shape things to worship that were not god we cannot hear the phrase lay up for yourself treasures in heaven if we do not have a sacrificial interaction with the god of the bible when we look at history we find this when we look at economics we hear this concept our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life, that we convert the buying and the use of goods into rituals, that we seek our spiritual satisfaction, our ego satisfaction in consumption. The measure of social status, of social acceptance, of prestige is now to be found in our consumptive patterns. The very meaning and significance of our lives today expressed in consumptive terms. The greater the pressure upon the individual to conform to safe and acceptable social standards, the more does he tend to express his aspirations and his individuality in terms of what he wears, what he drives, what he eats, his home, his car, his pattern of food serving, his hobbies. That's from economist Victor Lebeau, and it was written in 1955. Following World War II where husbands had been shipped across the world and wives had gone to the workforce when the husband returned they kept both occupations because they had set a standard as to how they would live C.S. Lewis in the same time period says this we westerners preach Christ with our lips but with our actions we bring about the slavery of mammon we do realize that in the years that have passed since then this has only gotten worse Jesus so go with me back to the passage Jesus has been walking through with those listening to him preach what we call the sermon on the mount if you are unfamiliar with what that term means it was a sermon preached on top of a mountain and as he's been walking through the sermon on the mount He's been talking about religion. False religion, fictitious religion, uneven religion, distorted religion. And he's used religious terms up to this point. Talking about prayer, talking about fasting, and then boom, as John Madden would say. Let's talk about your stuff. Why? Because like it or not, our stuff is our religion. Verse 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The idea of the moth is re- referring to 
what we are, in a sense, familiar with, that something would come in and destroy what you had to wear. Rust is a term that is a little unique when you look into the Scriptures because they didn't work with a lot of metal. But the idea of rust, it is the actual Greek word for, for eating. It's a reference to food storage. So I want to take you into the home of someone at this point in history. You would not go through a gated fence. You would actually walk into a one-room home. That one-room home had a floor that was, believe it or not, it was not made of tile. The house itself was made of clay. And if you're someone who lives at this point in history, you don't have the numerous wardrobes that many of us have in 2019. More than likely, you had one cloak that you wore, one tunic that you wore. So when Jesus is saying, don't lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy, he's pointing a couple of things out that are very intentional for the hearer. Don't lay up for yourself treasures if it's the things that you wear, knowing that most of them only had one thing to wear. Do not lay up for yourself what you have to eat because there's something that will come in and, and take that away. They didn't have banks. They didn't have TDECU or the numerous banks that we offer in our country. They would dig in their mud floor and they would bury their goods underneath that. So when Jesus points out the idea of rust destroying and coming in and taking these things away, he's saying if something takes your home and something takes your clothes, realize that your treasure is not there. How much more important it is, is it for us to hear as people with numerous clothes and with banks and banks and banks and with homes with multiple rooms that our treasure is not in those things? I had a friend in high school. He came to church with me some. And he would always point out, every time I come to church with you, the preacher talks about money. And I had to point out to him at some point, you only come twice a year. So I don't know what's wrong with your odds. But that's a popular thought. Lots of us think if, you're, if you've never been in church, if you're d disconnected from church, if you have been de-churched, there, there is more than likely the thought in your mind that when preachers talk about money, it's because we desire things that are not ours, that we want to use someone else's good. And then there's this thought that, does God really want my money? Is God really concerned with my stuff? Does God want my things? Well, the short answer to that is yes. But he doesn't just want that. He wants the vision that you have for your life. He wants the values that you have set up for you and your family. He wants the vigor that you're going to achieve those things with. He wants the time you have, the talents that you're going to use to, uh, to attain that. He wants your treasures. He wants every single bit of you. And he is unhappy if he does not have them all. God wants every bit of us. Jesus points out in verse 22, The eye is the lamp of the body. And being real with you, I've been a pastor for, I don't know, a, a minute. I was almost a pastor for a while, and now I'm a real one. And... The eye is the lamp of the body. When I read this, I think Jesus has just shifted gears. 
If your eyes healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. According to New Testament scholar D.A. Carson, all of the good New Testament scholars, they go by their first two initials. I'm, I'm working towards it. This can also read if your eye is generous. It's a literal synonym. If your eye is generous, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is stingy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is it? Maybe you've been to a family gathering recently. I don't know if you like those or you don't like those, but they happen, right? And remember as a child, you would sit down at the table and uh, Mima had made her things and Mom had made her things and Aunt Lulu had made her things and everybody had, had made their things. And you as a child who can barely see over the counter are looking at all of the things that are offered to you. And for whatever reason, your parents aren't paying enough attention to you. You're spooning it out yourself. You're spooning it out and as you spoon it out, your mother eventually locks eyes with you. And they will use a phrase that every parent has, has used in their life at some point. They will say something to the effect of, oh, your eyes seem to be bigger than what? Your stomach. God is talking about our focus here in the same way that your parents are. <coughs> Pastor R. Kent Hughes says, what happens to our treasure happens to us. Jesus is not just concerned with that. In this passage, as you look through the New Testament, he refers to treasure throughout. And in, the, in some of the parables, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. It's sacrificing one thing for another. Again, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Even in this, we see God has already given us background for how to view treasure. If you're choosing me, then those other things can't be at the, mo at the top of your list. I, God says, will give you a grasp of how to use those things for my kingdom. And if I am not the focus of your life, then those things are going to be at odds with my kingdom. Jesus talks about the idea of lostness and, and God's searching throughout the scriptures. The sheep, the coin, the prodigal. We see the idea of treasure written through the text. We see the idea of what we do with our things all over God's word. So what about us as a family of, of faith and how do we as a church, as our time, our talents, our treasures... What are we going to do as a body? What have we been doing as a group of believers to invest in the things that God finds to be investment worthy? What kingdom decisions are we making as a family of faith? Our goal as a church is to spend $335,000 this year at least 
investing our time, our talents, and our treasures to show our community and the world at large that we believe that Jesus is better than all of those other things. That he's better than the mammon that we have invested our lives in. So, if, quick refresher, our elders decided to shift our budget to run September to September based on the, the rhythms of our community. Because if you're not careful, the rhythm will get you. In so doing, we wanted to embed certain things in our hearts. And one of those things that's very important for every one of us is that every dime that we spend as a church, salaries, utilities, those are all an opportunity for us to invest in a way that says that we believe that Jesus is worthy of being made known to the ends of the earth. So when we look at certain things with the church, we have to realize that we have those things and they are used and being used and we want them to be used for the glory of God to the ends of the earth. Our building. So if you are unfamiliar with this building, it was here before I got here, thankfully. We bought this facility and when we did, we bought the facility due to the generosity of two groups of people. That's four, but two groups of people. The generosity of the church that met here before as they sold their property. They met us at a place and they were incredibly gracious to us. For those of you who are here, can I get a head shake or an amen or just something? All right, thank you so much. And due to the generosity and hard work and the investment of the time, talent, and treasures of the people who are part of this body. It is a place where we gather. We also want to make sure that when we spend and what we, when we use the resources to make sure this is our... It was a really great deal. A really good deal. The person who runs this country would love this deal. <laughs> we also want to spend toward our community. Because if your whole view of church is a building, you have a short-sighted vision at best. We resource money if you look at our budget and you can feel free. We, we meet quarterly talking through these things in our family meetings, but we had one of those in, in, at the end of the year. We resource money towards events like Light the Night. Why? Why would we do try to reach our community with candy bars? One, because candy bars are awesome. Two, I meet lots of people here in our area. And I never meet people who think bad of our church. And you've got to love that as a pastor. I don't want anybody to think bad of any of you. And I've been around churches, seen churches, where if you mention someone's name, there's a weird eye roll. I don't get that with people when I mention Grace Bible. I, however, regularly meet people who do not know that our church exists. So we want to make sure that people know that our church exists. Not only do we spend on that, we spend towards our children's ministry. We spend towards our student ministry. We, we also partner financially with like-minded agencies in our area. The Pregnancy Help Center, the True to Life, we'll hear from them throughout the year. We invest resources in faith and action and the Texas Port Ministry. Well, why? What about beyond here? Because if you have any understanding of the Great Commission, you realize it's not here. You're being sent away from here. We have a here. We can never lose sight of here. But there's also a there. And God's concerned with there. We choose to invest resources in 
churches that are in dark places. We give towards the Hype Church in Denver. Why? Why would we partner with another church? The Heights is in Denver. We have spent time with their pastors and we care about those guys. We believe that their vision is aligned with what our vision is. And let me tell you about Denver. 4.32 million people live in the metro Denver area. There is one, and just for perspective, one Southern Baptist church which is very like-minded for every 20,401 Denver City residents. 64% of the people who live in Denver have no religious affiliation. 12% are in some way connected to an evangelical. There is a great need for the gospel of Jesus there to be presented well. So we, as a family of faith, should partner and invest in that. God's desire made known to the ends of the earth. We also invest globally. We give to missionaries around the world as well as using our resources to partner with the cooperative program. We want to be people who see Jesus and his name made known to the edges of the globe. We have the former pastor here, Brian McKenzie. We support him. We support numerous organizations, numerous agencies that have a vision in mind for what God would have the church to be. And we want to make sure that we give and that we push you to give towards that. Because Jesus says no one can serve two masters. He will hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and he will despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. You just can't. So we make sure that what we have is used for the glory of God beyond us. Kids, if you're a first-timer here, if you're a regular, you know I have four children. <laughs> we went to baseball tryouts the other night. Um in the city of Lake Jackson, that's a four and a half hour affair. I mean, how many pros are coming out of here? Anyway, so we're there. I can give you a head count. On the way home, as we're driving home, we did not go, we, it was late, let's just stop and, and get dinner at somewhere fancy like Wendy's. So we pulled into Wendy's and... We ordered for the kids. We sit down at the table. Uh, I go get the tray. I bring the tray to the table. Shepard and Charlie ordered Baconator Juniors. Noli and Alder, our, our small ones, one ordered a burger, the other ordered nuggets. But everybody has fries. Why would you ever go to a fast food restaurant and not have fries? Noli's sitting beside me. I didn't order any fries. I didn't order anything. I could have. I could have. But I see her fries. And they looked delectable. <laughs> so I reached over to take hold of one of her fries. She scrunched her nose up at me and smacked my hand. <laughs> and she said, Don't take my fries. You little hooligan. Hoping myself for the reason she has fries. I bought them. We drove her there to get them. 
We paid for them. I handed them to her like I was Alfred in the Batcave. I can take every one of her fries away if I want to. Or I could buy her some more, right? Because I can afford hundreds of fries. I do not need her fries. God is the reason that you have everything that you have. He can take any of it away or He can give you more. He gives us an opportunity to be generous. Let's be generous. so that we can make clearly known that we believe that Jesus is of utmost value, which means that he's better than everything else. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray for our people. God, I pray for our hearts, because every one of us, naturally, we bend towards We've been towards mammon. I pray that we realize that we have a supernatural God in us who would bend us away from that. So help us to serve you with our energy, to serve you with our families, to serve you with our time, talents, and treasures. We'll keep saying it over and over. Let us realize the mission that you have given us to the ends of the earth for the sake of your great name. We ask all that in that name, Jesus. If you're here and you've never placed your trust in Jesus, you can't give enough for him to love you. He gave so that you could respond to his love. And if you want to talk about that, I'm at the back of the room every Sunday, back corner of the room, I'm there. Um, maybe if you're here and you are in relationship with the Lord Jesus, but your stuff has your heart. I'd love to pray with you if you need that. If you want, just turn around at your chair and pray there. God is big enough. He doesn't need you at the front of the room. If your tradition would bring you there, they're here to pray, it's okay too. Lord, we thank you for what you've done in us. So speak. Continue to speak to us as we sing.